Another great episode of Mystery of Parenthood coming up. If you like what you hear, go to redsearadio.org, click on the donate button, and become a monthly sustaining member. Please support us. Thank you, and God bless. All right, welcome to the Mystery of Parenthood. You are uh, listening to us, and um, we'll begin as we always begin with our prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord God, from you every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Father, you are love and life. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, born of woman, and through the Holy Spirit, the fountain of divine charity, Grant that every family on earth may become for each successive generation a true shrine of life and love. Grant that your grace may guide the thoughts and actions of husbands and wives for the good of their families and of all the families in the world. Grant that the young may find in the family solid support for their human dignity and for their growth in truth and love. Grant that love, strengthened by the grace of the sacrament of marriage, may prove mightier than all the weaknesses and trials through which our families sometimes pass. Through the intercession of the Holy Family of Nazareth, grant that the Church may fruitfully carry out her worldwide mission in the family and through the family. We ask this of you, who is life, truth, and love with the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy Family of Nazareth, pray for us. St. John Paul II, pray for us. And St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yeah, but anyway... Uh, you know, sometimes, sometimes you try to read the signs of the times when, when multiple people say something that that references a saint. I usually take that as okay. Well, maybe <laughs> I mean it like hit you across the head. But I'm probably had four people that have either mentioned Mother Teresa or or hey, you know, pray this novena with us, and mm-hmm. from all different angles. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought I'd throw her in there because she's a great one. <laughs> yeah, are you talking about her uh, her flight novena, her novena of uh, nine memoraries that she's famous for? Yeah, it's, it's nine memoraries, and then it's different things that they like, you know, teachings of hers. Mm-hmm. You know, I Thirst, which is, you know, um, one that she's known for. Lend me your heart, Mary. You know those, all those things. It little, just little. I mean, it takes no time. But on the pray novena app, I guess. Oh, okay. Um, but anyway, daughter did that. There's been a couple of people that have told me and Stephanie, oh, you need to, you need, to, you need to um, read some of Teresa of Calcutta. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's just so a lot of Teresa of Calcutta. In it's your, been coming. It's been coming up uh, your life right now. Right now for that's good. That's good. You know, like I Good said, influence. sometimes it's like trying to get your attention when you start seeing things. But but I digress as I usually do. But uh, it is me and Thaddeus here, and and um, hey hey, and we were um, we were looking for a topic, and again this this came up, and this was a different angle, but on how you know on how um, well it actually says if you want your kids to stay Catholic, here's what matters most is done by a. a sociologist from Notre Dame mm-hmm. who's done a lot of research and in looking at it, I think all this is, there are some things that I know we practically did. We never read him before. I mean, I've never read anything from him. And Christian Smith is who we're talking about. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, good looks, name uh, for a good name for a sociologist. Hey, at Notre Dame Christian. Exactly. Um, and, but, but very positive, um, information, I think yeah. things that can be translated into, um, practice. Something, something to give you some confidence too. He's he's saying here in this. Uh, he has a book that came out in April. It's called uh, "Handing Down the Faith: How Parents Pass the Religion On to the Next Generation." And he and his co-author Amy Adamchik, um, they didn't just look at Catholic couples. Right. They looked at um, parents, uh, families from across. Uh, many denominations, and they even said no religion at all. Right. It's kind of how you pass on your kind of your values as a as a family to right. your to your next generation. Yeah. And so, anyway, I think that it, you know he he frames it 
with what we've talked about, you know, that um, that why are Catholics abandoning the faith? He uses he uses you know for every um, six and a half that are leaving the Catholic Church, there's just one convert coming in, mm-hmm. um, and at that rate, it doesn't take a math degree to figure out <laughs> that it's diminishing. Yeah, uh, he said. They quote him here as saying Catholicism has experienced a greater net loss due to religious switching than has any other religious tradition in the United States. Wow. Yeah. And and I think he also references that thirteen percent of US adults that's one out of, it's one out of eight. Um or yeah. uh, former Catholics. Former Catholics. So they, they was they, I've heard people joke that the largest denomination are actually Catholics who've left the church. Yeah. So um, yeah. So anyway, that's pretty sad. Statistic. It is. It's kind of sad. But but it, it, he and his co-author on the on the book, which I think I might like to get, but um, basically wanted went and researched people from different backgrounds who were successful. I don't even know how they determined that, but in passing on their faith, that they all had certain characteristics about how they parented and how they. Um, taught their children uh, about what they believe, and um, and and in looking through it, I think these are all things that we could all learn from. So, um, anyway, I guess we can get. He's basically got four. There's a few others that mm-hmm. we found on another um, on another deal, but um, mm-hmm. but anyway, it, I think also framing it because it hadn't got any, he, he makes this, you know, what I learned from the project, this project of, of investigating this and coming up with this article and then, and then the book that was so surprising was how influential parents are in forming the religious lives of their children, even into their teens and their twenties. Yeah. See, I think a lot of people tend to say, well, I'm going to bail um, because they're not listening to me anyway when mm-hmm. they hit, 15 or 16 or mm-hmm. in the church lots of times after they're confirmed and they <laughs> go off and they're not involved in anything else, that there's nothing that we can do. They're not listening to us anyway. And he just said that, um, that what he found was that's not necessarily true, that you, you still can have, um, an impact on what people, what kids believe. Yeah. I think also, um, it's, I, I think that parents can probably f- re- religious faith and and expression and and really that's such a personal thing and it's such a deeply um, you know you have to be vulnerable to to let people into your relig- your religious experience and your religious belief you know like it can be hard for for um, spouses to even pray together that can be a right absolutely a lifelong project but um i think there's I, I bet that there's a little bit also of as the kids get older the parents getting maybe for lack of a better word like kind of sheepish about showing their faith in front of their their kids they don't they're more aware maybe of their children um judging them or just having opinions about how hmm. they um, express themselves, their religiosity. And right. so there might be more reluctance on the part of parents to be as open about, about their religious practice, praying in front of the kids, talking right. about religious things. Um, that probably factor, I bet that probably factors into things as, as the kids get older too. Um Right, what do you and, think about and that? I think it's part part of it. I I, I definitely can see that. I, I would never be confused with that in my own family because my kids oftentimes they'll say, "Dad, can we can we make this not a theological discussion?" It's right, a, it's right. A, this is a good movie, right? <laughs> you know? So so I tend to interject and and I tend to get teased a little bit sure. about that. But I think also there's a part you know that I think that we think that like the time when they leave the house or are about to leave the house that it's kind of their own. And I've, I've kind of said that I've told you that, but today, you know, even today, I mean, there've been discussions where they've called and asked me for advice or, or whatever. Sure. And, and so I think not, not, not on faith, but, but on other things, but I think that sometimes 
there can be like a wanting to kind of cut the cord too. You know, now it's now it's your your turn. Mm-hmm. And I think that again in that funnel, the the funnel that is, you know as we start adding freedoms, you know, goes up to when they're in the house for us, but it actually extends. Maybe it's a dotted line funnel in terms of hopefully that we've built a culture where they, when they have a question about, Hey, should I do this? Or should I do that? Or what do you think about this? That, that even at 24 or 25, that we'd be on the list that they'd call, <laughs> right? you know? And, and we always told our kids that we, we want you to know that you can come to us with, with anything whenever. And so, um, but I do think there's a tendency and there's even maybe a temptation to just say, okay, I raised them. They're out They're on their own. They got this. You it's know, their they got own this. Thing. It's their own thing. And I don't think there's anything totally wrong with that. The answer is probably somewhere in the middle. I don't call my, my children to lecture them, you know, at 20 or 22 years old now on, Stuff, you know, with, with the Find My Friends app, you know, you can see, oh, well, okay, these down on 6th Street, you know, it's 3 <laughs> o'clock in the morning. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to call oh them and gosh. say, hey, I saw that. I'm aware of it, but I would now, if Ooh. they were if they were 18, you know, and that was happening and they were living in my house and they hadn't got home yet, that would be a, that would be something I would interject, you know, but, I, but, but as they get older, I may be aware, but I'm like, that's not... Unless they ask not me, go I'm not going to. I'm not going to bring that up. I mean, right. um, first of all, I don't want them to know I'm tracking them. <laughs> <laughs> and but, hopefully, they're not listening uh, to this episode right I now. Doubt it. They hear enough of me anyway. But but because uh, if they are, the cat's out of the bag. The cat's out of the bag. Well, they already know I do because you know sometimes I'll ask questions. But like I said, you find, sometimes find good things. I, I you know had one on a Saturday morning at six a.m. waking up, and he is on Sixth Street. So I just called him later in the day. Hey, man, what's going on? He goes, Dad, it's so cool. I, we went down early in the morning and brought jackets and food and things to the homeless down there. So sometimes, you know, you might find something. <laughs> you might find something. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't even bring up 6th Street. He just said, oh, yeah, we got up early this morning and went down there. I thought he'd, you know, he'd been down there all night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it turns but out not that no. So sometimes you find good things, but, but he actually did that to head you off at the pass the next several yeah, times. Maybe, he, he exactly. wakes up down there. Maybe now that the cat's out of the bag, but I, don't, I think they already know I'm watching. <laughs> but anyway, so um, I, I think the other thing leading into these four, and we already mentioned this, but I'm just going to quote what he says. He said, "This is the author." He says, "We expected to find a lot of cultural models." But we're surprised at how similarly parents talk from all religious and cultural backgrounds. Um, so these are consistently um, principles or or ways of communicating whatever you're passing down to your children, regardless. Kind of like conventional wisdom that humanity has always yeah probably known already, to uh, right. And you might be surprised. Pass things on. Yeah, you might might be surprised at some of it. Um, the first one is take ownership of teaching your kids your faith, and that's pretty much right out of the catechism. I mean, we're the primary parents mm-hmm. are the primary and first educators of their children in the faith and in everything in in everything really in terms of. How do you act in certain circumstances? All those type of things are are meant to be taught, and I've been amazed at how many. I don't. I don't. I didn't grow up at a time like this, but it seems like now a lot of people say, "Well, I just want. I'll let them figure it out on their own." Um, I've always said that's like telling somebody, "Hey, here's a stick, some some um, string, some metal. Now go." catch some fish or build a trap or whatever and, and just have at it. it. It just, it doesn't work that way. And so we're responsible as Catholics, as Christians, we're responsible for not just handing them the material, not just saying, Hey, what do you think about this or exposing them to everything? But, but to say, here's what I believe and why I believe it and, and teaching that to them 
And um, yeah, you mentioned uh, people, you know, wanting to to have uh, religion or religious classes or religious school, right? Um, take take care of that responsibility. And this researcher, Christian Smith, he says uh, definitively, quote. Parents should never think of these things as a replacement for what they should be doing in the home. They can strengthen what the parents are already doing, but they cannot take the place of a parental example. Exactly. And that, and, and he, makes, that, he makes no bones about he it. He doesn't. And it seems to be often off the case um, that just because you go, if you just say, well, they should be learning that there and never address it, then it becomes like, any subject in <laughs> in high school, if they can't, if they don't see how it's um, pertinent to their own lives and their own decisions, they're not going to get that just in a class from somebody that's spending an hour with them. Where that unfolds is in the day to day operation of you being in contact with them. And as I've said before, I mean, looking at the experiences they're going through, and then being open to the teachable moments mm-hmm. that those experiences allow so you're 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 looking at what's going on in their life and you're taking what they may learn or may learn more in depth than you might get at a at a catholic school or in a in a class or in a what what's it called nowadays religious education or something like that catechism class yeah um they learn that but it's got to be translated into well how does it matter to what does it matter to me and that's probably not possible, um, certainly if you're teaching more than a few in a class, particularly if they're not your own kids in, in a window of time to actually have that. It has to happen in a relationship. God put us in families with parents for the purpose of exactly that happening, of it being passed on from that. So don't yeah, he, just rely on that. Yeah, he goes on to say parents can feel empowered and can feel authorization to form their kids instead of thinking they become increasingly less relevant as kids get older. Uh, Parents need to decide what kind of family they want to be and then put that into practice. Talk about that. Did you you and Stephanie have that that, uh, view from the beginning? Did you kind of talk about how you wanted to pass the faith on? Well, we we definitely did that. You know, we did when I was when I read that. Um, I remember we tried to sit down and do a family mission multiple times. You know, um, we'd list things, and I think the exercise itself was good. I've seen couples that are friends of mine that do have kind of their mission statement and it hanging on their wall. A little too late for us right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but but I do think that that being thoughtful about how do I how do we pass it on. You know, what we, if you've listened to the show, I mean, we always said, okay, we want, we want our kids to be further along than we were in the faith. You know, I, I kind of had a conversion, not that my parents didn't teach me, but I think they probably fell into the trap a little bit, not as much as most. Cause I did, my parents did talk about, not just about God, but about how God had impacted their lives and what they had done. So I was probably a little bit of a head start, but I do also think that there was some, oh, you're probably getting that there. Um, but as I grew up, I had, with my mother and stuff, we had, we had those conversations, but it, we said we wanted to have, we wanted their hearts. So we wanted to make sure that, that what, that we ended up with kids who wanted to, wanted to please us, I guess, or wanted to be in relationship with us. They didn't want to, um, bail on that. So we designed kind of how we're going to raise our kids based on that. We wanted them to know everything that we thought was important for them to know before they left the house as best we could. And at the top of that list was theology. I mean, we, for a long time, you know, (laughs) would talk about you know, why is it important to understand a sacrament, which should surprise everybody on the show, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that's a visible sign. And then when they'd ask a question about sexuality or something like that, then I would say, well, okay, that's a sacramental sign. And then what's a sacrament? And then then we'd go back and, and 
work all the way back into the theology of it's meant to be an outward sign of God as Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as a as a communion of persons, and and they would get that on you know, so it gave them some perspective, a way of of looking at it. I mean, one of the, one of my one of my I don't know if, how I would qualify this, but we we went me and Stephanie went for like the two of the boys had to go to a I don't know it was some it was a wellness exam for like a 15 and 16 year old. And they both went into the doctor's room. I may have told this story, but I, I still think, think it's have. funny, but, but so, you know, we get there and, and on the list of things that are, that are, that are asked is, you know, um, do you use contraception? I mean, there's like 50, you know, do you, do you protect yourself, you know, and those type of things. And so we started talking about that and then, the the doctor comes in and we're talking and, and this is a Kennedy moment, but, but the doctor's like, so, so y'all, I mean, y'all understand sexuality and relationship between it, you know, and, and, and Kennedy just, he's how old? Blur, he's probably 14, 15 years old. And he just goes, doctor, I mean, we talk about sexuality over sushi at our house. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because it is so regular a part. He's like, "Well, I need to come over to y'all to y'all's house for dinner then." <laughs> but I mean, it was it, we tried to be open about things that are coming up because e- even if it was even if it could be uncomfortable, as appropriate. I mean, they're, they're, that's the youngest kid, so they were when that stuff was happening. It was fifteen, sixteen year olds on up, so they are aware of what's going on. So I'm not talking about talking about that when you've got a four or five year old at the table. So it it's all in that. But I love the fact that that was his response was we talk about this stuff all the time at our house. I mean not just not just that, but we talk about serious subjects around the dinner table or whatever. And so we were always consciously trying we took seriously that our job is to raise our kids to be good Christians be good Catholic Christians, not like there's a line there, but it's redundant, but to be good Catholics. And that was our number one priority. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. well, our number one priority is to get them to heaven, but, but we felt like, okay, if we can teach them this, that's a part of that though, that's... help them get to heaven, but it'll also help them in the real world because it'll give them a world view, a kind of a lens through which to look at that but you want to build a culture that when somebody asks them a question oh yeah mom and dad don't ever talk about that or you know you know i'm glad that that's the way kennedy saw it i'm not sure as he would only say we we talked about that over sushi Mm -hmm. (laughs) so uh how how often do you think you have to talk about that kind of stuff for it to really i sink into where it's so it's part of their I've used this example fabric of how they kind of they live. I think it's got to be part of you've got to be looking at what's going on. And I think you shared a story about some things that happened. You got to watch what your kids are watching, how they're reacting, what's going on in the news, what are they aware, what's going on at school that you're aware of and look for those opportunities to teach. I mean, that's where it happens. It, it, it's it's it, I'm an old football coach, you know, the best place to make corrections is you run a play and you correct it right there. Like, didn't you see where this guy was lined up? You should have taken this step over here because it's fresh in their minds. Right. And that's where you teach because they can, they can remember it better. I think if it's and not, not something that was, you know, just arbitrarily let's talk about this. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But the best place for it to happen is kind of on or close to the practice field. I mean, so when it's happening, when they're seeing it, this is when you teach. So I can think of when Grayson was in probably seventh or eighth grade, we we saw because we, especially when they were younger, you know, kept track of what they were doing and, and noticed that there was this rating of girls, you know, I mean, real girls. Kind of like the face, old Facebook, you know, ra- rating of girls. Like this one's a ten. This one's, you know, and we had we caught Grayson 
doing that. And I, and I had to sit him down and say, you, you can't, okay, girls are not meant to be objectified. Your job is to protect them. They're more than their looks. And so that was something. And he actually wrote a text unsolicited to all the girls saying, I'm not, I'm not going to do this because they are the ones that were putting it out there. I'm not going to do this. Y'all are worth, you know, and I read it. I was like, oh my gosh. But see, it happened in the moment. It mm-hmm. didn't, it wasn't, we could have taught that and probably should have been teaching it and probably had taught it, but it doesn't have as much an impact until it actually happens in the game, so to speak. Right. I mean, so my point is, is that you, you, it has to be on your radar all the time in terms of teaching. You have to always be thinking, if I'm around them and I see a teachable moment, teach at that point. This is what we believe. This is how this should have been. They didn't handle this. Or that was beautiful what that person did. That's exactly what we would, how we would have treated that person. I mean, you know, look for positives too, not just negatives. But it's yeah. pitching, like I said, you know, we've talked about my friend who found, you know, 60 years later, a cardboard box that his dad had put pennies in and ended up with like a thousand dollars in pennies. They had like get a crate to, they couldn't pick it up. You know, he's just pitching in a lot of value, but it was a bunch of little moments. And, and I think that that's the trick to parenting is if you're trying to figure out, okay, we're going to have a six-week session on this. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's got to translate to yeah. other stuff. I uh, guess it also has to do with uh, you have to have courage as, as a parent. You have to have the courage to, in that moment, decide, okay, we're going to have this uh, we're gonna have this conversation, and I'm not totally exactly sure how it's going to go down, but we're going to do it, and it exactly. may be difficult. And, you know, you've got to have that. Call the Holy Spirit. Fortitude. If you're a parent... If you're a parent, you, you can know two things for sure. You're called to teach your child. The other thing you're sure of is that God will empower you to teach your child. Yeah, that's Do not huge. think I've got to, I, that's the grace of being a parent. You're going to find things coming out of your mouths if you prayerfully, if you're prayerfully doing it, that you're like, wow, that was, that was actually pretty good. I don't know where that came from. Well, yeah, you know where it came from. I've, I've had multiple times when I don't know how I'm going to handle this, but I'm going to, I'm going to deal with it. And of course, if you can't explain it, you could say, we need to sit down and talk about this because it's important. Just don't let it go. Again, parenting, teaching is one of those things that it takes time. And sometimes it takes time away from what you may want to be doing, but the time to teach is to strike when the iron's hot to use. I mean, it, that's when you teach because if you wait too long, yep. it passes. Or you just say, we're going to talk about that, and then I don't want to talk about it, don't want to talk about it, and then it gets to the point where, like, it, you know, whatever. The moment, yeah, the moment passed. <laughs> the, the moment passed. So I, I think that's extraordinarily important to know that that's the way it's meant to be. And that goes to his number two, it's, which is inter, intertwined with uh, number one, which is practice your faith with purpose. So the first one was take ownership of teaching your kids your faith. So practice your faith with purpose. And he says simply, you know, simply practicing your own faith. This is from his article, simply practicing your own faith in front of your child is the most power, the most powerful thing you can do. Wow. And again, so a lot of times we don't, we don't think that we don't don't realize that you don't realize that, but you know, I can remember, I can remember as a little kid, sitting next to my grandfather at mass and at, at Lord have mercy, you know, during the mass, he's striking his chest. Mm-hmm. I can remember vividly anytime we passed a church, he never said anything. He would just kind of glance over and, and cross himself. What, what that is, that is a sacramental way. It's, it's really, really expressing practicing in front of them what a sacrament is meant to do. It's yeah. meant to be a sign of something invisibly present in it. So they should see you praying, not, not just praying with them, but they should see you praying mm-hmm. because that communicates the presence of something invisible because otherwise it wouldn't make sense. <laughs> right. And you've got, and then you have to also communicate some about what's, going on in your heart 
if, if something's happening or if I'm struggling with this or would you please pray for me for that? Mm-hmm. You know, I, my, my daughter, my daughter, I've always told stories about ways that God's spoken or how he's revealed things to me that I, that I think were actually him because they, they turned out that way. And one of the cool things was, was my daughter was going through just last week was going through rush, you know, recruitment over sorority recruitment over, over Texas and Austin. It's awful by the way, (laughs) but it ended up being, you know, she had got it down to three and those three actually wanted her. And, and so the morning I called and I said, so what's going on? She goes, "I, I, I just, it's hard to make this decision. And then she said to me, well, I've just been praying to hear something about boldness. What I want to be a part of is something that's bold, you know? And I was like, okay, that's a good prayer. So I'll pray with you and for you. And then I prayed with her and then she goes and then she's, she calls me that evening after meeting with these, these sororities. And she's like, I, I can't decide. I can't decide. I can't decide. And then we get to the end. I said, so tell me about the interviews, the talks. And she was 20 minutes into this conversation when she said, you know, and this particular sorority, I noticed that the word bold came up. <laughs> I said, so what are you confused about? She goes, what do you mean? I'm like, okay, you asked for bold to come up. Mm-hmm. And we prayed that that would come up to help guide you where, you, where God wanted you to go. And it takes you 25 minutes for you to get to I Heard Bold. <laughs> and I'm like, you, you don't, we don't even need to talk anymore. I mean, did you hear it anywhere else? No, I didn't. I'm like, so that's the one, but I mean, to, to walk through, that's a, you know, non, that, that's a, a, a normal everyday secular event, but she had interjected and even asked me to pray with her on hearing bold, but sometimes you got to walk them through that. But you're you're not only practicing your faith, but then you're also saying, I want you to practice that because God will reveal what he wants. You just have to have the eyes of faith to see it and the faith to trust that he's going to do it. So in terms of practicing your faith, you've got to share the stories, which we've always talked about. You've got to talk about the ways that God has done, has acted in your life. But then you also have got to encourage them to have, to have those moments. I'm like, it wasn't like you were asking for, that for somebody to say and <laughs> or the bold's not something that would normally come up, I don't think. And it came up. Sounds like an answer. I prayer. wouldn't associate bold with <laughs> a, a sorority, sorority rush, right? So, yeah. I, so I was, I was like, so God did reveal, and the cool thing was, he she called her sister, and. She tells the same story, and, and I was talking to the, the older sister, and she goes, yeah, when I heard her say that, I'm like, what are you confused about? <laughs> you know, so all these different things that I think are part of teaching your faith, which you is— You asked for this sign, you got that uh, sign. Like, and, and, like, you're still confused? I mean, yeah. um, and so, so I guess my point is you've got to have built that that's the way you operate. Or, and if you don't operate that way, try it. Say, Lord, I just want to— trust you. I want to, I want to hear your voice. I want to see your face and in, in the people that I come in contact with. I mean, those are good prayers, but open my eyes. I don't see that. I don't hear it. Nobody, I've never heard that. Uh, it, it doesn't happen often. It's not something that should be expected, so to speak, but I do think that's a prayer that, and it doesn't always come the way you want. It, it comes in somebody else telling you something or you hearing it multiple times and you become aware of like, man, I've heard that like three times. Well, you guess what? You know, I was talking to my daughter. She goes, you know, you gave me that severe mercy book by C.S. Lewis because I wanted it. And I said, yeah. And she's like, can I write in it? And I'm like, sure. Why? Why not? Why wouldn't you? And she's like, well, it's yours. Have you read it? She goes, I've not read it, but I've had five people in the last three days that are unrelated talk to me about Severe Mercy by C.S. Lewis. And I said, well, you probably ought to read Sounds it. Sounds like that. you better read it. <laughs> so, so, I mean, it, it's one of those things that that has to be kind of built into it. Mm-hmm. And then you have to call them to it. And then when they experience sometimes you have to kind of coach them through it, you know. 
but that's how you that's how you practice it. They need to see that you believe when you're it. I mean, how you genuflect, you know, how you cross yourself, how you handle yourself at mass, those all contribute to them being aware of Yeah, the little the little story that came to mind with this um recently was on on Sunday after mass uh we were going to going to church in Robin's hometown um my 5-year-old he he stopped me after mass we were still in the pew and he said papa i want to go i want to go light a candle for um for for grandma and grandpa i said oh okay good let's go let's go do that so we went over to the the candles that are near the it was a stat it's a statue of uh, our lady and our lord holding uh saint joseph at the at the moment of death and then there's oh, there's wow. uh candles it's two dollars suggested donation i didn't have two dollars i had one dollar bill and i had a five dollar bill and then larger bills from there so i said well we're going to be putting six dollars in the <laughs> in the uh slot so i said we're going to be lighting three candles so, okay, so uh, he lit a parent. We lit a candle for Robin's parents. We lit a candle for um, my parents, and um, we lit a candle for my my friend and his wife who are uh, dealing with coronavirus, and she's in the the ICU. Um, and then we prayed, and I and I talked with him, you know, for his age level about why we light a candle and that it. It symbolizes our our prayers um, going to God, and and that Christ is the uh, the light of the world, and He right. He hears our prayers and and answers them. And I I, I kind of just said we can we can pray and ask ask for God to hear our prayers like we normally do, but then when we when we light a candle and we leave it burning, um, we're kind of making it kind of last longer we're kind of making it more permanent right. that 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 desire that or that intention you know that that want that we have with our prayers we're putting a little extra towards it and then i said also we're, we're giving money to the church so we're doing a little act of charity right. along with our our prayers and so that helps give it a little more a little more oof is what i was telling him and then we prayed an, um, a glory be for those three intentions and um and that was good. And I just, I'm just bring that up as just That's sometimes a, the practicing your faith with purpose is just being presented with that opportunity, that moment in exactly. that, in that time where, you know, we've already been at mass. You could say, other uh, kids hey, want to leave, we need to get, get home. And, but the Holy Spirit enlightened me that, Hey, take this time, seize on this opportunity that he wants to go the extra mile with his, with his faith and you, and, and use it and, exactly. and help him. And that's the, and that's the issue because what happens over time is if they receive enough no's to those type of requests, they won't ask anymore. Right. Cause they'll say it's not important. So, I mean, they'll, they'll read right. it as that, right. but you may or may not do it, but the moment to seize is the moment before you, I mean, that, that is critical and you did exactly that, but that's where, that happens. That's how you. That's how you do that. Right. And I thought, and I also thought about, like, you know, here is my little five-year-old kid wanting to take part in an age-old Catholic devotional practice. I mean, that's something right. that m- marks you as a Catholic that you light candles when you right when you pray. Absolutely. So then why would fun. I not? Why would I not want him to to take part in that? Absolutely. But 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 I think again, that's exactly how parenting is to be done and how teaching is to be done because that's going to have more of an impact than if you said, you know, see those candles over there. Right. Right. <laughs> I mean, it might have an impact. They had no interest in it. And you said, Oh, see those candles over there. This is what happened. That would be a good thing. But the best thing is that moment because he'll probably never forget that moment. Honestly. I mean, I, you know, I remember really small things that you think wouldn't pass of my grandfather, my mother, right. But things that are just small things that I remember that communicate huge, yeah. Th- huge ideas, huge concepts, yeah. but they were just small things. Yeah. And it was because they did it. And I noticed. So I'm just saying, live, live it out. 
and I think this is, he also makes this point, parents can show by word and deed that religion is something that they care about, about all the time, not just on Sunday mornings and ho- or holy days. So he talks about, it needs to be talked about relatively regularly. It needs to happen more than just on the weekends. Yeah. Um, anyway, so uh, number three, what, did you have any other thoughts on that? I thought that was good. Mm-hmm. No, I think, and we we have about 12 minutes we need to. Yeah, we got to hurry. Parent, uh, number three, so the first one was. What was it? Uh, Take ownership of teaching your kids your faith. And the second was practice your faith with purpose. Purpose. And then the third parent. Oh, I did have one. I wanted to say one thing about number two. Um, Just that y'all have as part of your tagline to the show, right? Is pray, parent with a purpose and prepare for God to amaze you. So just this idea of doing things with purpose, with intentionality. I mean, that's... And That's sometimes that's built is, into what, what you well, guys it's totally preach. Because it is, but 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 part of being purposeful is not like I've designed a curriculum that I'm gonna bring my kids right. to. Being purposeful is noticing those moments when a five year old striking says, with the iron is hot. Yeah. When it's hot. You you have to do that's being purposeful. Right. It's not like I've designed a plan. This is how we're gonna get this done. Anyway, so yeah. yeah. Um sure. so three is Parent with loving connection and firm boundaries. He says kids who have authoritative parents consistently have the best long-term outcomes. I will say for myself, I have been a little bit more strong on the firm boundaries sometimes and not so much on the loving connection. Sometimes I get a little bit more, you know, into the, the discipline. Yeah. That's kind of my, my role sometimes. But I think, but, but I think again, as a sacramental sign, if if we're if we're meant to like show our kids to some extent, God, God has boundaries. Thank God He has boundaries. Yeah. I mean, like the when you see when boundaries are broken, like what's going on with the hurricane, when when boundaries are gone, for the most part, boundaries stay in that. It's what keeps us alive from not being flooded and from whatever. So, part of the way God is is to set boundaries. So we should set boundaries. Um, he says, the the author says, it really matters for parents to have rules and standards and expectations, but also to be warm and close and connected with their children, which is a great, you know, it's, it, it is, you know, I had a sacramental a, a sac- teacher that taught sacraments, and he said, you know, sacraments, they're always, they're like two things that are always in tension one, with one another. And the way you make sure it's right is to keep them in tension. They mm-hmm. sound like it. And when you do one over the other, I think this is exact. There's this tension between rules, standards, and expectations, warmth, closeness, and connectedness. Because typically people see boundaries, standards as limiting them, and therefore somehow I have to be removed from them. I'm, I'm more of a dictator. And, and the reality is, is parents should be both of those simultaneously, the best parents or the best, you know, I, I would say it's moments, not really for <laughs> the moments that your best parent are when you can have standards, boundaries, and expectations at the same time as you have warmth, connectedness, and closeness. So I, yeah. I, I, I think that's really critical. Um, part of how you do that. I think, practically speaking, is when you set a boundary or establish it, you you give a reason why. That's why it's for their benefit. You know, I I was at a friend's. I was at my brother's house, and anyway, without getting into thing, there was two cousins, and one cousin was not behaving the way the younger cousin from another family. So two brothers, two kids, th- th- there was another cousin and he was not happy. So the way he, the way he responded to the older cousin was, Hey man, you need to behave better. You got my name on your back. And, and I was like, that's, I want my kids, you know, there's Christian, then there's Cashin. <laughs> I mean, and then there's everything else you, you have our name, you're carrying the Christian name and you're carrying the Cashin name out in this world. Mm-hmm. You speak by everything you think, say, and do mm-hmm. to this world mm-hmm. about what it means to be a Christian, about what it means to be a Cashin. And so we talked in those terms, mm-hmm. raising our kids. Mm-hmm. You're a Cashin. You have something 
that you have a standard to uphold. Mm-hmm. So there's a sense of pride, uh, of healthy pride in that, that you're always measuring that. And I loved, it wasn't it, it, not my son. It was one of my brother's sons talking to another of my brother's sons. And I thought, that gum, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got my, you got my name on your back. So I, I thought it was uh, great. a great way of doing it, but, but we were raised in the same family. So. That's interesting. I was just saying to my uh, oldest son yesterday, I was ta- we were, my wife and I were talking to him about uh, just socializing with the opposite sex and um, dealing, with, dealing with them in, in a school setting. Right. In a, in, at their co-op. And just making a point to him of, you know, you may you may find a couple of these young ladies that we're talking about to be, uh, you know, kind of vain and petty, and you don't maybe particularly like their their company, um, but you're a romansky and you have a particular. Uh, you treat them as a gentleman, and anytime you have an opportunity to be good to them you be good to them and you be a gentleman to them. And, and this exactly. is what that means because you are going out there and you're representing our family. Yep. I, I, I think that's a great thing to do. As long as you say, I mean, you're representing Christ, you, that's first, but then right after that, because Christ puts you in this family, you're representing Yeah, because the kind us. of family we are, it's understood that you're representing Christ. Right. Yeah. So, so. But but I think it's good. We you know there's plenty of times that Stephanie and I have said Cashins don't do that. Right. I mean, Cashins just don't do it. Right. Or Cashins always do that. Right. Uh, so I think it's very. It's like you know. I mean, whole universities have you know traditions built on. Well, I'm an Aggie, or I'm a Longhorn, right. or I'm a Sooner, right. or whatever. Right. You're a Cashin before you're any of those. Right. So, um, but I think that's, that's now, tell the truth in your family, anything bad, you, you hanging on Stephanie's family, right? right. <laughs> no, there's, you know, we've been married long enough to know that, that there, there are plenty of bad and good <laughs> from both sides, but, uh, but anyway, but, I, but I think that's, I think that it, it, it's important to, to make sure that you do that. I think the way you establish standards and have warmth and closeness is to help them connect the dots as to why that's a standard that we yeah. uphold so that they can make it their own. Yeah. And he, and he says, um, Christian Smith, he points out th- this number three, he makes it sound like this is sort of bare bones, you know, rock bottom, just absolute basic foundational parent child relationship. Cause he said, this is found across all denominations, even no denomination quote, that's also true for atheist parents. It's a general influence of bonding with kids and kids respecting parents. Right. So if, I always said, if you set rules and you can give them the reason why and why it's important for them to do it, it's going to protect them from this or it's going to help them be better prepared for that or whatever. If you do that and you point out to them that I'm not just telling you this because I'm your, the boss. I'm telling you this because it's for you. I'm using authority the way it's intended to be used. I'm here to serve you. Right. And the best way for me to serve you is say, don't do this, do do that. If you can make those connections, then discipline doesn't become nearly as hard because if they grow up knowing, well, if dad's saying it, it's for a reason. If mom's saying it, it's for a reason, for my good. Even if I can't understand it, I can ask why, which again, warmth, closeness, allow them to ask why, not to get on the street, if course coming, but 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 ask why on other issues and be prepared to do it. And if you can't come up with a good reason why, just because that's the way it is, it might be something you want to reconsider. <laughs> you should be able to come up with a reason why. Right. So it kind of goes to that try to say yes idea. Right. Exactly. Got under three minutes, we got okay, one we got last right. one to do. Th- this is only one. So, so the last one is find a welcoming religious community, and the that is so essential. You need to find other couples and families that share yes. values yes. so that they can have friends and everything. I love, I, if they can personalize and internalize it, then increasingly they're motivated to stay connected to it. So if they're around 
other people who have similar beliefs, maybe different um, temperaments, different personalities, different strengths, different weaknesses, but similar beliefs raised by parents. That is very important. If they come, that's why we've always stayed at St. Mary's. Us too. I mean, we stayed at St. Mary's because I, we've always said, look, they get to meet young people in college who end up becoming moms and dads or, or become priests. Yeah. Or And we have so many priests that came over to our house that weren't priests when they came over to our house. Right. And so it becomes part of introducing them to that. There was one thing I won't get to, you know, he uses this word channeling, you know, um, you channel for internalization in cash and jargon. That would be you. What you're trying to get is to the heart of the child. You're trying to get way down to help make connections between what they're doing, how you're directing them with, this is good for me. This is, they're looking out for me. Right. And even if it's hard, I can do it. So if you raise kids that way, I can say at 20, if I say something to my child, ask yourself, have I ever misled you purposely? Have I ever done it? I may have made a mistake, but I've told you I made a mistake. Have I ever misled you? And the answer better be, no, you, you really haven't. You know, I don't like your answer here. Well, that's, that's my answer. That's my guidance. So anyway, I think those four things are really good. Again, find a welcoming religious community, a group of people you can be with um, to help solidify that. Um, parent with loving connection, and, but firm boundaries. Uh, practice your faith with purpose. And uh, you're going to hear that in a second. Take ownership of, of teaching your kids the faith. Anyway, as we always say, pray. Parent with a purpose and prepare for God to amaze you. I promise you, you will. God bless you guys. Pray for me. Pray for us. We'll be praying for you. Bye.